Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You may be seated. Jesus said, In the world you will have troubles, but fear not, I have overcome the world. God is good. And all the time. Probably what's on your mind is the same thing that's on nearly everybody's mind, and that has to do with the events that are occurring over in Eastern Europe. Uh, It's a mess. It is truly a mess. Russia has invaded Ukraine, and uh, the Ukrainians are defending their homeland. They're fighting for their lives. And now we wonder what's going to happen next. Only God knows, but I did read this morning that uh, President Zelensky has agreed to talks with Russia and Belarus, so I hope that a peaceful outcome uh, will come from that meeting. Uh, Just to let you know, because so many have asked, I figured I'd cover it all in one fell swoop instead of answering the same question 75 times. Uh, Bree and all her folks arrived in Kosovo yesterday. And if you don't know where Kosovo is, don't worry, most of us don't. But she is safe there. I will say she's a lot closer to Ukraine than I'd like her to be, but uh, her assignment is there, and I trust that she'll be well cared for, and you know, God will bless her and be with all those. Uh, as, of, as of now, all we can do is pray. We have uh, brethren in Ukraine, some of whom have already fled uh, for the borders of other countries. Uh, One American preacher by the name of Mark Posey, uh, he was in Ukraine when all this kicked off and he was finally able to get out to Poland and his son Joshua said he should arrive in the States tomorrow. So Joshua asked that we remember his father in prayer that he can make it safely home. So I wanted you to be aware of this. Also, a couple other things for you to know. The memorial today will be live streamed for those who would want to to see that for Corey Morton. Uh, You tune in the same way that you do for a Sunday service uh, on either Facebook or YouTube, and that will be live streamed. And the final thing, and then I'll I'll get to preaching. That's why you really came, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, The final thing is so many have asked about mom. She's doing okay. Uh, She said she felt like she had the flu, uh, but, you know, she's being well cared for. And I appreciate your prayers for her. I never had the Rona. Stephanie was just afraid that I had it. And she didn't want me hugging on all you sweet old ladies and risk giving it to you. So that's why I was grounded last Sunday. All right. Did I cover everything? Is that it, Gary? I can call amen and be done. (laughs) Let's pray together, would you? Father, I'm so grateful we can come to you in prayer. I'm so thankful that you hear the prayers of your children, and I'm thankful, Father, that you answer them. I know the answer isn't always what we might envision, but, Father, according to your perfect will, you give the answers to prayers. So we pray for peace in Eastern Europe. 
We pray, Father, for those who are seeking refuge, that they can safely find it. We pray for Mark Posey's return to the States, that he would be safe. We pray for all our servicemen and women who are in that region, who are serving in that area, who may be inserted into this very conflict. We pray, Father, that peace could abound, that diplomacy would be effective, and that an end to this invasion would come soon. Bless all those who are suffering. Bless the leaders of the world, Father, that they can negotiate and that uh, amenable terms can be reached. Father, we pray for peace. We pray for resolution. We pray for safety. For those, Father, who are mourning the loss of loved ones' lives, we pray your comfort and your peace. Oh, Father, hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you, by show of hands, like to be told that you're wrong? How many of you have to endure it anyway? Yeah. Every man with a wife rose his hand, I noticed. Well, nobody likes to be told they're wrong. You know, it's, we like to be right, but sometimes it is the case that, that, we, that we are wrong and that we stand in need of correction. One thing I want to mention before I dive right into the text, and go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and you can follow along with me. When things like what's happening in our world break out, Mark my words, if you haven't seen it already, you're going to hear it. Somebody's going to come along and say, we're living in the end times. They're going to say, uh, you know, this is Armageddon. This is the mark of the beast. This is, uh, and so forth and so forth. It never fails when things like this happen that people come out of the woodwork with these sorts of views. And it's based on a particular interpretation of Scripture that I believe is wrong personally, and it's not the way that I interpret it. But let me just put this in your mind. Everything that people will say about the end times, Armageddon, the second coming of Christ, uh, the mark of the beast, you know they said that two years ago about the coronavirus? And they said it in 9-11 when America was attacked. They said it also uh, during Desert Storm, during Vietnam, during World War II, World War I, maybe even the Civil War. Maybe if they say it enough, they'll be right. But I want to give you a, a assurance that if you want to go back on our YouTube channel, maybe a couple years, I preached through the entire book of Revelation back then. And if you slept through it, or if you need good uh, napping material, feel free to go on our YouTube page and look at that. But uh, I just wish to pass along to you, let not your hearts be troubled. God is still in control. God is still reigning on his throne. And no matter what happens on the earth, we know where we're going to end up by the grace of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Muhammad Ali was flying on a plane during the height of his career when he was in his prime. And he took a seat on a 747 that was starting to taxi down the runway to take off. And the stewardess came by and, and said, uh, sir, please fasten your seatbelt. And he looked up proudly. Y'all know how Muhammad Ali was. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman don't need no plane. Right. So he, you know, for all his uh, boasting and, and how how high he thought of himself, he, he was corrected. He was wrong. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The apostles, especially Peter, are standing before a crowd at the temple thereabouts. And Peter's essentially about to tell them they're wrong. 
Not only were you wrong, but you, the mob, who had Jesus put to death, you were wrong. He's not just confronting any old body. He's confronting those who were responsible for the death of Jesus. And he appeals to them on the basis of three criteria. First of all, he appeals to their sight. In verse 22, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. You saw these things. You saw the works of God as they played out through the hands of Jesus. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. Not only did you see what he did, but in seeing what he did, you also consented to him being put to death. In verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You saw it. You saw it and you still did it. You saw the wonders of the hands of Christ. You saw all the things that He did, the signs, the miracles. And you saw Him crucified on the cross. You are the guilty ones. So appealing to their sight, it may have been that even some of them were once followers of Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 66, the Bible says, and many of his disciples turned away from following him. So some of them may have been disciples at one point. Some of them may have never been. Now, my generation did everything possible to rid society of the mullet. And would you know that it's made a comeback? I told my, and I, if you've got a mullet, yes, I'm picking on you. And I hope next time you come back, you'd have cut the thing. But if you are that confident with your mullet, then keep it and wear it proud. And the rest of us will feel sorry for you. But anyway, some adults see kids wearing brown, gold, rust colors, hip huggers, platform shoes, and you go, the 60s. It's kind of funny how these trends come back around. Maybe manners will come back in style. Maybe, you know, other things will come back in style. But regardless, the pendulum swings, and you know, some people do it because, oh, everybody else is doing it. And it may have been that some of these folks here, they, they saw, but they also saw who wasn't following Jesus, and they decided to be with those who didn't follow Jesus. They went with a crowd mentality. We did a thing when I was a, a teenager in church camp, and I didn't know how this was, was going to play out. It's pretty neat. So you had a group of, of, uh, of guys, I think the girls were off doing their own thing, and they they chose one guy and they put him in the pickup truck and, you know, had the windows up, had the door shut. And the, the, the counselor said, okay, guys, we're going to play a trick on him. I'm going to ask him, where is east? And th this was in the morning, right? The sun rises in the east. And if he, if he points to east, he said, I want everybody else to point the opposite direction. And so he got out of the truck and 
And uh, he said, okay, here's your instructions. Point to where east is. And so this one guy, he's looking east where the sun is and he's pointing up at it. And everybody else, we're pointing the complete opposite direction. And so the counselor said, are you sure that's east? And he's like, yeah, the sun comes up in the, he said, but everybody else is pointing the other way. And so after a while, the guy, he, he quit pointing at east and he pointed west with the rest of us. And so the lesson was, if you know what's right, do what's right, even if you have to stand alone. Could you imagine being amidst the, you know, boy, I tell you what, I've got nobody hating on me because I stood with the crowd. I always love to hear the one person who has a different point of view from everybody else. When everybody else is singing the same song about an issue and somebody comes out with a different point of view, I really like listening to that person. Just because I feel like there are too many people that go with the crowd. And many in the audience there, they did that. They saw Jesus. They saw the works that he did. But they saw the men dressed in the religious garb saying, he needs to be crucified. So what are you going with? I saw these great things, but I see the clerical dress of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're saying another thing. Which crowd will you go with? Secondly, Peter appeals to their shared hope. Verses 16 to 21, there he is quoting Scripture from the prophet Joel. He's explaining, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and on and on he goes. And he mentions this as being, at the end of verse 20, the awesome day of the Lord. We as Israelites have a shared hope. We're looking for the day of the Lord, and this is it. Some of them were standing around hearing everybody speak in tongues. Say, well, some of them have gotten into the wine pretty early of a morning. That'd have been me if I'd have been there, right? You've always got that sarcastic jerk that's on on standby. (laughs) Well, they probably got into wine already. And so Peter said, these men are not drunk on wine, as you suppose, but what you're seeing is what was spoken of in the prophet Joel. And he appeals to their shared hope that there would come the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, verse 21, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verses 25 to 31 He, quoting scripture once more, he points to the Davidic king that was to come. They had the hope of the day of the Lord. They had the hope of the Davidic king and the reign of that king, verses 34 and 35. And so when you get to verse 36, he sums it all up. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Davidic king. He is the one who is reigning now. He has come in the day of the Lord. Where can we agree? Disagreement is always easy. Argument is always easy. And you know, some people, they just want to live in an echo chamber. Want everybody to say what I'm saying. And now in our society, dissident voices are being silenced and censored and canceled and everything else. I have a feeling that Jesus may have been one of those very same ones if the society then is what it is today. 
it's inevitable that disagreement will come. But when disagreement comes, we can often find common ground. That's what adults do. And you know what else adults do? We listen even if we're wrong. Childish to just stomp your foot and plug your ears and... I want you to imagine as they are standing there and as Peter is preaching, what must be going through their minds. Some are probably shifting their weight. Some are probably uncomfortable. Some are probably giving him the evil eye, right? That kind of cockeyed look at somebody that you don't like what they're saying. But they can't argue, some of them. They go, I, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I have this shared hope. And then the, the, the third criteria is the authority, God. Not only am I going to appeal to what you saw, I'm going to appeal to the shared hope that we have, and now I'm going to appeal to God. Says God, verse 17, attested by God, 22, whom God raised up, 24. God has raised 32. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ, verse 36. So you have to go, do we agree that God is the final authority? Yes. Do we agree that the scriptures have informed us of a shared hope for a greater future, for a Messiah, for a Davidic king who will reign in righteousness over God's people? Yes. And we have to agree, yeah, we saw all those things. And so, verse 37, one of the most infamous passages in all of Scripture and preaching of churches of Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'll tell you, every preacher wants that kind of response. What shall we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to point out a couple things about this passage that little bit where they were cut to the heart. This is a rare verb that's used only here in all of the New Testament. It can be translated as to pierce, to sting sharply, or to stun. Um, they were wrong, but they knew well enough not to dig their heels in deep. They don't necessarily resist what is being said, but they respond to what is being said. What shall we do? They are convicted at this point. We are God's people. We have killed God's Messiah. We're murderers. Now I want you to understand, God is speaking to a group of murderers. The mob. Now someone can say, well now, I, I didn't shout crucify him, so I'm okay. Others can shout, well, you know, I didn't nail the nails through his hands or through his feet, so it wasn't me. And we always try to somehow get ourselves, I didn't do it. You know, I didn't, that person over there did it. In this case, they were guilty of having Jesus put to death because they didn't see him as their Savior and Lord, but they saw him as someone who made them uncomfortable. They saw him as someone who challenged the conventions of the day, somebody who bowed his back at the status quo. He threatened everything they knew. 
And that's what Jesus ought to do to us all. At times, we ought to be made uncomfortable. At times, we ought to wiggle in our seats. And so Peter's first reply, repent. That's one of them churchy words, isn't it? Repent. Thus saith the Lord. Repent. It's probably not easily understood if I were to ask a a group of people, what does repent mean? Some would say, well, ask for forgiveness. Well, that's part of it, you know. Literally, metanoia, the, the word translated repent means to change your mind. You know, because they had thought wrongly about Jesus, it led them to certain actions. You got to change your mind. If you change your mind and you see Jesus now as Lord and Christ, the actions will follow. So repent or change your mind and let your actions show it. Then they're to be baptized in the name of Uh, of Jesus for the remission of their sins. Now, uh, somebody will say, now Stephen, in Matthew 28, Jesus says baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here it says baptize in the name of Jesus. I'm confused. Okay, I link this passage with verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? Now, I also want to point out something else. When you look at Matthew 28 and what Jesus commanded, name is singular. You ever caught that? In the name, singular, of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. I think one thing that they might have understood that's a little bit lost on us is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You could say, technically, that's the name of Jesus. That's the name of Christ. So if you've ever wondered about that, maybe that's a satisfactory explanation. If not, I refer you to an elder who may or may not have a better answer. I don't know. Now, there's something I want to point out. You may, if you have a study Bible, your study Bible may have a note to this effect. And it may not. Maybe you've heard this argument. Maybe you never have. But I want to point out that the word for has been highly debated by different people. There are two ways we use that word for. Uh, for example, go to the store for bread, that is to obtain bread. Or you could say he went to prison for theft because of. Now, some people contend that the for is because of, at least here. Now, in English, that word is flexible, for, but... uh, Those who say because of, they conclude that baptism is not to obtain forgiveness of sins, but it's engaged because forgiveness of sins is already given. But here's the problem. The Greek language doesn't work entirely like the English language. And that little preposition, uh, ace, E-I-S, I'm going to get technical, try not to fall asleep. And if you do, have your neighbor just nudge you. Okay, a little bit of technicality about Greek. Uh, Ace is always used with the accusative case, which means it points to the object. So the term here that is in the accusative case is remission. How many of your heads hurt right now? Accusative? I'm going to accuse you of something you don't get on with this sermon. Okay, different thing. 
Let me, let me give you just a visual example where the language is used similarly. Matthew 26, 28, For this my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, in this passage, we understand that Jesus is looking to a future event. His blood hadn't already been shed, but the way that some interpret for in Acts 2.38 is they apply it as something that's already happened. But it never works that way. It's always looking ahead. Always look. So this is my blood of the new covenant, the, the cup that he was giving, which is shed for a future offering of the remission of sin. So you look at Acts 2.38 using the same understanding Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When we are baptized, we receive the forgiveness or the remission of our sins. It's not something looking back. It's something looking forward. And I know people go, well, you don't have to be saved to be baptized. Why do you, why do you think that? Well, we're not saved by works, and baptism is a work. Uh, it's a work of God, Colossians 2.12. I don't disagree that it's work, but it's not my work, it's God's work. And all those passages of we're not saved by works, if you read the entire letter that they appear in, the author is more often than not speaking about works of the law of Moses. And so you ask some of these folks, well, how are you saved? Well, you have to confess, or some will say you have to ask Jesus into your heart, or pray the sinner's prayer. Um, as kindly as possible, where is that in the Bible? I've never read about a sinner's prayer, nor have I ever read about asking Jesus into my heart. Those are phraseologies that grew out of the Billy Graham Crusades. I mean, if you study the history of it, that's where it, that's where it came from. But there's never any command to say a sinner's prayer. If there was, I would, I would have prayed it, and I'd show you where it is, but it's not there. Uh, ask Jesus into your heart. That is not there either. Repentance is us changing our mind, and baptism is us giving over control to God. We're not earning anything by doing this. We are receiving the gift that God has graciously offered through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I do want to add to it that baptism, the Greek term bapto means to dip or to plunge. It does not mean to sprinkle or to pour. Full immersion in water. So we would like to think the next verse, everybody's going to do what Peter just said. But when you look, they don't necessarily. He goes on to conclude his remarks for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. We are those who are afar off. And look at verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. You see, they heard it. They were listening, but nobody was taking the action yet. They were not responding yet. Then, verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And you look at verse 47 in the same chapter. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
As the Church of Christ, what we endeavor to do as close as possible, and if we get something wrong, I hope someone would be kind enough to point it out and help us understand. But we endeavor to follow the Scriptures as closely as we can and to do what those Christians then did. One of the popular sayings is, if you do what they did, you get what they got. And so we see that they repented, they were immersed, they were baptized, and around the city of Jerusalem, around the Temple Mount, archaeologists have uncovered hundreds of what we would call baptistries. The Jews called them mikvahs, but it's essentially a baptistry. So that further points to the evidence that it's a full plunge and not just pouring a little water over the head. So in doing this, again, I want to stress that we are not earning anything but rather we are receiving God's gracious gift in the mediums that he has chosen to operate, that of repentance, that of baptism. And obviously faith is probably a given. So what shall we do? I've told you. If you've not done this, we have to look at it another way. If repentance and baptism is for the remission of sins, if you've not done that, you have not received the remission or the forgiveness of sins. You are still in your sins. And that's not a place we want anybody to be. Elizabeth Keckley was a slave in Missouri before the Civil War. And her greatest desire was to purchase freedom for herself and her son. Her owner agreed that if she could raise $1,200, she could gain her freedom. And so she worked as a seamstress, and she came up with a plan to go to New York City and work there to raise the money. But her owner feared that she wouldn't return. So instead, some of her wealthy clients in St. Louis contributed the money she needed, and Elizabeth Keckley paid the price for her freedom as well as her son's. And she moved to Washington, D.C., where she met Mary Lincoln among her dressmaking clients. Without the help of someone else, she would have never been able to purchase her freedom. And the freedom that we are able to obtain through Jesus is the freedom from the consequences of sin, that consequence being death. We have, as Alan prayed this morning and as Gary has, I, I was thankful not to see, we have a board in the office and in a red marker usually condolences to whoever's family and the arrangements. And I'm thankful we don't have any on there right now. But we can't, Gary, we can't say that for the past two months, can we? That board has been full. I am sick of death. I hate it. I hate what it does to people. I hate the sorrow that it brings. But I tell you, because of Jesus, death doesn't have the final say. We get to have eternal life through him. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've not done that, please do it. Please do it. You can come forward publicly, or you can catch me afterwards. But whatever you do, please do it. Let's stand together and sing.